Cool, yeah, we've been talking about leadership and um, going to move on from that series. And we're going to spend the next few Sabbaths talking about spiritual growth. And what you'll, what you'll find out is that for most pastors, um, we tend to preach on stuff that, that we actually need to hear for ourselves. And stuff that we want to study because we know that there are places in our own hearts and souls where we lack. And this is one of those for me, uh, growing spiritually. And um, so I, I, I love it. It's my favorite subject of, really, of, of spiritual life. It's just understanding how do we grow, how do we be- become more, and all that God wants us to become. So looking forward to the, to the next few weeks. I'm a little excited. But uh, let's pray, and we'll, we'll dive right in. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can gather in this place today. Thank you for uh, those who um, just come to worship you. And we all come, and we come from different places, and we're at different stages in our growth and development as Christ followers. But what we do know is that there is a God, and He is real. And He showed Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. And that has made a difference in our lives. And more than anything else, we want to continue to see who Jesus is and continue to become all that Jesus would have us to become. So help us, Father, as we look at Scripture and as we understand more about what it means to grow and to truly become your followers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, we're in 2 Peter. Probably a book we don't, we don't often look at, but 2 Peter, it's uh, towards the back of your New Testament. So go to 2 Peter chapter 1, first chapter, verses 3 through 11, we're going to look at. That's a big chunk of scripture, but hang with me. It's all really, really quite powerful. And um, it's, 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 it's really good in that as Peter, the second letter of Peter, as he starts into this letter, he, he starts with this um, encouragement to grow spiritually. So this is right where we want to be as we start the conversation about spiritual growth. So, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Um, what I typically don't do is, is actually preach from the message version. Sometimes I'll refer to it, but I'm actually going to go straight out of the message, the Eugene Peterson, uh, kind of a paraphrase or interpretation of Scripture. It's really, really good. So, um, mine may sound a bit different from yours, but you can follow me on the screens, all right? 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and then just a little bit, we'll also look at a passage in Corinthians, all right? Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God, love that, has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God, the best invitation we ever received. Amen. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you, your tickets to participation in the life of God. After you turned your back on the world corrupted by lust. Verses 5 through 9. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. This is spiritual growth. Complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing, there's our word, growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet, man. No day will pass without its reward as you mature 
in your experience of our master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you. Oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. Verses 10 through 11, we may not get all the way here today, but we'll pick it up later. So friends, confirm God's invitation to you. His choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. Grow now, he says. Do this and you'll have your life on a firm footing. The streets paved and the way wide open into the eternal kingdom of our master and savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, in psychology and other aspects of life, there is a term. The term is used to describe people who are less inclined towards risk. Risk. Um, And the the terminology is used both in psychology but also in finance and investing. So if you're a money person, you know this term. It's called risk aversion. Risk aversion. And again, it basically means that you are less inclined to take riskier, to do riskier things or to behave in a riskier or risky manner. It's called risk aversion. So for you, if it's finance, your portfolio, you're more inclined not to go for something that's going to maybe be a big windfall right in the moment because you take higher risk. You're more inclined to say, well, I'm going to go with something that's going to grow my portfolio. It's going to be less risk. There's less less of a chance that I'm going to lose everything I got. There's more of a chance that I could grow it over a long period of time. Less risky because you have a risk aversion. Um, Maybe another way to, to talk about risk aversion is if, you, if you've ever flown to Las Vegas, right? And, uh, yeah, you fly to Las Vegas, and you, you, you're not going to gamble? No, you wouldn't do that, good little Adventist. But, um, you st- <laughs> but you, you're like in the airport, and they got slot machines right there. I mean, come on, right? And you're like, man, I'm just going to put a quarter. I'm, I'm just going to put a quarter in the machine. And then you walk up to the machine, and it's like, it's like they don't even have quarter machines anymore. Right? You have to, like, go get change, and you're like, well, I'm not doing that because I don't want to risk a dollar. All right? Not going to risk a dollar. There's some risk aversion that you have there. And because you're a good Christian, you have lots of risk aversion when you go to Las Vegas. All right? So, so that's risk aversion. Now, what's interesting about risk aversion is that we typically, we typically have greater risk aversion the older we get. Right? The older you get, you are less inclined to take risk or to act in a riskier manner, especially with your behavior, probably even more so with your money. But when you're young, we do all kinds of insane things, don't we? And when I say young, it's not like when you're like, like six and seven years old. I'm talking like in your 20s, especially us guys. Amen, fellas? Because we don't really mature to like 35. Right? So we do lots of dumb things all the way into our 30s. And all the women were like, uh huh, yeah, that's right. It's true, it's just reality. But I remember I had a great childhood. I grew up um, in this wonderful neighborhood um, with an emphasis on the hood part. Um, it was a great neighborhood. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was a great neighborhood. And, but we did all kinds of risky things, we did all kinds of crazy things. Um, my, I spent a lot of time on this street called Park Street, which is, a, is a, about three blocks. Um, the, the street was longer than that, but 
the section where I hung out and where my grandparents lived, and I spent a ton of time with them uh, on Park Street, about three blocks, it had two huge hills that ran off of it. Park Street had these two hills, and Park Street was a hill. It, it went along straight where I lived or where my grandparents lived, and then it sloped down this long, gradual hill down. But off of Park Street was another hill that was more like a black diamond that you would ski in Colorado, right? It was just like straight down. And it had a stop sign at the end of that hill, but the, the traffic, the cross traffic didn't have a stop sign. So that was fun, yeah. Remember Frogger from back in the day? That's, that's what we did. So, but we spent so much time as kids, um, as young boys especially, and the girls were right there with us too. But we spent a lot of time building homemade go-karts. You guys ever build homemade go-karts? Right? You just kind of tack some wood together. You get yourself some, some, some um, lawnmower wheels. You hammer, you get some nails, and hopefully the thing will roll. And we, you, know, you, just, you point it down the hill, and you just go. No brakes, no nothing. You just go, right? So we would build these, these uh, homemade go-karts. We would ride our bikes down these hills. Um, we would do all kinds of insane things. The, probably the craziest thing we did was, uh, was on skateboards. Skateboards. So you get your buddy, and he's got his skateboard, you got your skateboard. Did you guys do this? I hope you did this. This is fun. And he, you sit on yours, he sits on his, and you kind of cross each other's legs and, and hang on to each other. And then you get your friends to point you down the hill. You just go. <laughs> you have no helmets on. This is before we were, we were obsessed with helmets, people. All right? No helmets, no seat belts. This is back in those days. And you just went down, and you couldn't, we could die. I mean, because remember, there's a stop sign where we're not stopping, we're just going, right? All kinds of things that we did when we were younger. We had less risk aversion. We learned to, we, we learned to do backflips by dragging the mattresses off of our beds and just saying, all right, I'm going to try it, right? And if you were the first one to try it and you survived, everybody else said, yeah, let's do it, right? Jump off of stuff, right? When I was a kid, I thought I was the bionic man. I did. I climbed high things, climb up there, big things. And my cousin would be like, all right, let's see what is, is, is he really, really going to do it? And I'd jump off and I'd make the bionic man sound. No, 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 right? <laughs> that's, that's just what you do because, you, you know, you didn't care. And the payoff, the payoff, if you could pull off the greatest stunt, you would be king of the neighborhood, man. There was, you didn't mind risking because that payoff was going to be great. Risk aversion becomes more of a thing for us the older we get. But when we're young, man, when we're young, when we're young, there's just something about us. We're willing to, to, to do whatever, to experience something new. We're willing to to. to, to to build ramps and they're rickety old things and we, they may not very well work, but we'll ride our bikes at full speed and try to hit that ramp and fly and soar higher. We will do anything, man, to try and get that experience, to, to try something new. And I was thinking about that this week, you know, and thinking about what, what would we be willing to risk? What would we be willing to do to experience God deeper? What would we be willing to to risk in order to grow spiritually? What is it going to take to, to, to compel us, to move us to, to deeper levels of, of knowing God, of deeper, of deeper levels of loving others, of deeper patience with myself and others, of deeper 
love and fellowship with those around us. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we think of, perhaps, when we think of, of growing spiritually. What, what am I willing to do? What am I willing to do to experience spiritual growth? Or am I just risk-averse to that, too? Am I just scared to death of, of actually developing and growing and becoming more in Christ? What am I willing to do to grow? A couple of things just as we get started. I want you to think about this very carefully um, because they're, they're really huge as we start this conversation on spiritual growth. The first thing is this, and I believe this with all of my heart and soul, is that, that spiritual growth doesn't come naturally for us. It's not a natural thing for you and me. If we're baptized and we become Christ followers, we receive Christ as our personal Savior, it doesn't automatically stand true that we will then automatically grow. It's just not how it works. It doesn't just naturally grow. Unlike the weeds in my yard, they just like grow all over the place. It doesn't matter. I don't have to do anything to them and they grow. But for spiritual life... For spiritual growth, there's something deeper that God gets involved in. So go with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. So this is one of the first points I want you to keep in mind as we continue down talking about spiritual growth. Is that it's not natural. It is, in fact, supernatural. It is a work that God does. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 through 8. This is Paul talking about this idea of spiritual growth and how it happens. He says... Um, in chapter 3, verse 6, I believe, actually. Um, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. He emphasizes the notion that the person who makes us grow, who helps us to grow, who stimulates spiritual growth in us, it's not the preachers that you come and hear from week to week. It's not necessarily that, you know, that Sabbath school teacher that, that speaks. It's, it's God that stimulates the growth within us. Amen. Now, we have the responsibility of, of nurturing that as, as pastors and as leaders, as Sabbath school teachers, whatever. We, we nurture that. Somebody waters it, right? But God comes along and he causes us. To grow. It's not a natural thing. It's actually a supernatural thing. It's kind of unseen. We don't really know what happens. It's, it's, it's Superman running into the phone booth. Right? So Clark Kent is just a wimpy little dude with some glasses on who works for the Daily Planet. But he walks into a phone booth. And he walks back out and something happens. Right? <laughs> so, it's sort of this mysterious work that... God does, and he supernaturally begins to stimulate growth in us, and something happens, and we are changed, and we grow, and we transform. It's not natural. It's actually quite supernatural. It's quite powerful, the work that God does within us. Here's the second thing that I want you to think about as we continue the conversation. Um, it's possible to actually grow but not mature. The Bible talks a ton about spiritual maturity, but it's possible to actually grow but not mature. And here's how that happens. You and I consume a lot of 
information. We consume a lot of information about God, in fact. We do a lot of spiritual things. Some of us, as we drive to work in the morning, we listen to the Bible on, on MP3 or whatever we listen to digitally. Or you listen to Christian radio. Or you, um, you know, we do all these things to consume information about God, spiritual information. And to a certain extent, it gives us the sense that we are, in fact, growing. When in reality, we're growing up here in terms of our information and our knowledge about God and about spiritual things. And the question becomes, will we take the leap from simply having it up here to where it actually matures us into the people that God would have us to become? So it's possible to actually grow informationally about God but not mature deeply in God. A lot of people sitting in a lot of churches have a ton of information about God. In fact, they are obsessed with information. They go to all the conferences. They do all the stuff. They get every new Bible that comes out. It's a study Bible. Ooh, going to devour this, devour this. They listen to preacher after preacher after preacher after preacher, and they, there's still no spiritual growth. There's only information that happens up here. Um, a guy by the name of Tim, Tim Elmore wrote this great book, and he called it artificial maturity. Artificial maturity. Dr. Tim Elmore. Pick it up and read it. And basically, he's talking about this very same thing. He's talking about how it's possible in the day and age in which we live, because of Google primarily, we can fill our heads with tons of information about stuff. And because we know stuff, we'll assume that we have grown and that we know now how to navigate life well. When in reality, all we have is a bunch more information. We have big heads. And what the Bible tends to want to emphasize isn't so much your head, but your heart. Is God, is God going deeper into your heart? Is he, is he softening that heart? Is he, is he transforming that heart? Is there something deep on the inside that is happening? This wasn't an unusual concept even in Jesus' day or in Paul's day. They had a couple of words, um, they had a couple of words for, for knowledge and, and understanding. And I had to learn these in, in Greek class going through seminary. But one was gnosko and the other one was oida. Gnosko, gnosko and oida. Gnosko has the idea of informational. You're taking in, you're consuming. You have a lot up here. Oida... Oida is a different experience with knowledge and understanding. It means that you actually have a fuller understanding primarily because you have experienced something. So here's where the Bible's going with our spiritual growth. Don't just fill your head with all kinds of great Revelation seminar stuff and all kinds of stuff. Not, not saying that's bad. Good. Yeah, consume, consume, consume. But the real deal is if you want to grow and you want to be stimulated to mature is you now have to apply it to your life. Don't just hear the word James says. Put it into practice. All right? The story of the, of the wise man and the foolish man had everything to do with, that's John chapter 17, I believe. Um, it had everything, maybe chapter 7. It had everything to do with Hearing the word and putting it into practice. And, and Jesus would come along and say, if you hear my words, but don't put them into practice, you're a fool. You just got a whole bunch of head knowledge. 
You're not going to grow. You're not going to learn anything from that. But if you hear my word and you apply them to your life, then, then you grow. If I hear God's word, if I consume it and I take it in, God reveals himself to me through his word. God reveals himself by way of his spirit just impressing on my soul and my spirit. And I actually begin to do what God is talking to me about. Then I begin to grow. Wow. So those two ideas, just as we, as foundation, to be foundational as we begin this conversation, it's not natural and it's possible to grow but not mature. Be careful that we're maturing, not just growing in information. If you've been an Adventist any time at all, we're big on information. We've got lots of stuff going in. The question becomes, does it flow out into practical application into my life? Or is it just kind of sitting there? So, going to Peter's stuff. Going to Peter's uh, passage here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Let's get down to this because this is really awesome. Uh, Peter's actually going to help us to begin to understand something very profound about this idea of growth. And then he's going to give us seven virtues, seven markers that we can look to to help us understand whether or not, in fact, we are Growing. So 2 Peter. Um, let me take verses 3 through 4, then I'll pick up the next section. But we'll read these one more time because they really, really are good. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God, godliness is really what other, other versions translate that as. So pleasing God is godliness. So when you hear people say godliness, you know that they're living a life or they want to live a life that pleases God. Spiritual growth pleases God. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to know God. Love that. It's not what you know, it's who you know. What better way to know him than to trust him when he says, go here, do that, be this. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who, who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you your tickets to participation in the life of God. There is a life that God longs for us to live in him after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. Here's the idea of this whole section that Peter is talking about spiritual growth here. Just as sure as the gospel is when it comes to saving us, just as sure as your salvation is in Jesus Christ, so is your growth in Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not really a big risk at all. You're not taking a risk at all. When you choose to, when you decide, when you believe that God does a work of growing you spiritually, of growing us spiritually, it is just as guaranteed as the same God and the same story of the gospel that saves you. This is what um, Dallas Willard uh, is a great guy who studies all this. Uh, he says this. He says, we weren't born again to stay the way we are. We've been given salvation. God saves. You and I receive that salvation. But he says, 
now you're going to grow. And just as sure as your salvation is, it's a finished work. It's done, people. We're not talking about how to be saved. We're actually talking about how to grow in that savedness. Amen. We're actually talking about how to, how to live the life now in the new birth. And he says, just as sure as your salvation is, just as sure as that invitation that you received and you acted upon, so is your growth as a believer in Christ. It'll happen supernaturally. It will happen by God's power and not your own, but it will happen, and it's assured to happen. But he says there are risks involved. There are risks involved. The risk isn't that you will fail. The risk comes in the practice. The risk comes in what God calls us to do. In another translation, um, in the NIV, it actually uses the word effort. In other words, it's not wrong for us to put effort and energy into spiritual growth. That's, we, we have to. If we're going to grow in any area, there's some effort that has to be exerted there, right? But he says this effort isn't about your salvation. This effort is, is about participating in the life that I long for you to live and to enjoy and to grow. He says, here are the markers that I want you to see. i gotta, I got to hurry along here. Let me, um, let me go to verses 5 through 9. So don't lose a minute, he says. Don't, this is urgent. This is real. Go. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. You've been given salvation, complementing your basic faith, he says, with good character, spiritual understanding. Here are the risks that we now have to take. With character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. And he says, active and growing in our lives. These things are active and growing. So let me spend a little time on these. Because he says, look, salvation is assured. Jesus has taken care of that. But I want you to grow and live the life you were called to live. And I want, you to, I want you to become. And I want you to stand up and walk. And I want you to run. And I want you to soar. I want you to fly. And I want you to get over your risk aversion to spiritual growth. He says, this is what you got to look for. These are the areas where you have to take risk in, in order to grow. He lists seven virtues. I guess I'm going to spend more time with the last three, but the first, the first four are pretty awesome too, but I can't spend a lot of time. Well, number one, he says, good character. Good character. He says, you will have to risk. You will have to exert effort in that direction. And it's possible that, yeah, people might make fun of, might make fun of you because of the moral decisions that you make. You won't go there. You won't do this. You won't watch this. You won't say this. Because you want a good character. Because you need to grow in character. You need to move when it comes to your character. And basically what Peter is talking about there is a purity of life. A purity of character. Character is on the inside. But it manifests itself outwardly too in the choices that I make. Number two, he says spiritual understanding. 
Spiritual understanding has to do with discernment, seeing past what's there on the surface. And as we grow, we should be able to see deeper. Instead of staying very surface, we should be able to move deeper, that we're discerning. We don't buy the fluff. We can actually see past that. One of the things Peter's dealing with as he writes to this audience here, um, he's dealing with false teachers. He's got some young Christians for the most part. And he's concerned that they're going to get swept away by false teachings. And and the false teaching, in fact, is is interesting because they're teaching about the second coming of Jesus. Because Peter's writing to a group of people who are anticipating the second coming of Christ. And so this is very... Very appropriate for you and me as we anticipate the second coming of Christ. He says, have some deeper spiritual understanding. Number three, he says, alert discipline. Alert discipline. There's never any real advancement in life. There's never really any growth in life without some level of discipline. And he says, be alert. Alert discipline. Pay attention to your life. There's some mastering of your desires that must go on. That's the context that he's talking about. There's some mastering of your desires that must go on. That must go on. Be alert to your discipline. Number four, passionate patience. I love that. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts that. Passionate patience. And basically what he's saying is perseverance. Hang on. People who are growing, people who are growing, learn to hang on. They learn to endure, and they endure well. They recognize that Jesus is coming for sure, and they're, they're, they're longing for it, and they, they can't wait till it gets here, but they are patient. They're not fanatical. They're not crazy. When something happens in the world, they don't freak out and make predictions. <laughs> they trust, and they They wait patiently. They're passionate patience. They endure until that day comes without doing anything crazy. Number five, reverent wonder. Reverent wonder. That's basically talking about worship. Worship, that there is a sense of respect towards God, that there's a captivation by this God of the universe. And passion has to do with focusing only on him. When, when they gather, they want to they wanna grow in their focus only on Jesus, not on ourselves, but really on him. You know that you're growing in worship when you come and you think about what you can really give in service and honor to God more so than what you receive, and it's not bad to receive. Reverent wonder. The last two are huge. The last two are absolutely appropriate for all of us in whatever context in which we live. But Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, warm friendliness. Warm friendliness. I love that. He's saying if you're growing, if the Spirit of God is stimulating maturation in your life and in your walk with him that there's going to be a warm friendliness about you i love that warm friendliness the way i interpret that is that there's a that there's an openness that we as christians are people who are constantly kind of open and inviting not closed off and turning people away but actually open that there's a posture that says hey yes it's we can get to know each other. There's, a, there's an inviting sort of a spirit and a warmth 
about us is the way I interpret this warm friendliness. There's enough rejection in the world. There's enough of turning people away for whatever reasons. They may not look the right way. We may not like the way they smell. We might not like the way they act. We may not like the label that society has put on them. And we reject people. There's enough rejection going on in the world. There's enough abuse. But what Christians who are growing understand is that because there's such rejection and such pain out there, we are constantly open to receiving people. There's a constant sense of invitation. Let's talk. Let's get to know each other. Let's, let's, let's hang out. Let's, let's get to know each other. I, I'm way over time. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's awesome. My, I always talk about my in-laws. My in-laws are just salt of the earth type of people. And I, I tell you, I tell y'all this, if you're ever stuck in Arizona, like Topog, Arizona, just go knock on their door. They'll let you in. They will. It's like a constant open invitation. And they just did this again recently. My wife was telling me this last night. She's like, yeah, my, my parents, they, they, they gave some people their motor home because they were homeless. They just, they just needed, they, these people needed a place. And this is actually someone that my father-in-law had hired to work for him and so forth. And he, he, during his employment, he learned, my father-in-law learned that this guy was, was, had lost his house. They got kids, they got, you know, pets, everything. A whole big family, young guy. And the in-laws just said, okay, hmm, all right, well, here you go. What kind of, who does that? John and Betty Boyle, right? All I'm saying is, Christians, there's got to be this sort of openness to us. There's got to be this, this, this inviting sort of spirit about us. It says, we want to know you. We want to be with you. We will, we will hang with you. And if you're going through some stuff, we'll be, we'll be there with you too. And if it disrupts our lives, if it interrupts our, 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 our Netflix watching, then it's okay. It's okay. And the last one is this. He says, generous love, generous love, generous love, generous love, generous love. Are you stingy with your love sometimes? Are we a little stingy? Jesus talks about how we should love even our enemies. And he demonstrated the spirit that says, I'm, I'm going to love people. I'm just going to love people that come into contact with me. But this is really, really important because he says right here in this context, he's actually talking to the church. Remember that. He's talking to new believers. And he's saying to these, these new believers, he's talking to them. And he's saying, love your brothers and your sisters. That word translated there is Philadelphia or philos. It's that brotherly kind of love. And he says, and, and, and again, in another, in the Gospels, Jesus would talk about how they will know that you are my followers because of your love one for another. And again, this is where... I know I need to grow, and probably all of us need to grow in this generous love. Because sometimes I'm stingy with my love. It's confined to my family. It's confined to those I like, those who I relate to the best, those who I know the most, those who I have the most experience with. I'm going to focus with my love right there. That's all I got time for is to love that right there. If you are on 436 and you cut me off, I ain't got no love for you, baby. <laughs> that happens all the time here in Florida. But generous love. He says, these are the risks you must take. Take 
risk when it comes to loving generously. Take risk when it comes to being friendly and warm towards others. Take risk. Go there. Do something that doesn't feel comfortable for you. Risk much, and you will grow. This isn't a risk. This isn't a, you're not, this isn't about your, again, this is about your salvation as much as it is your growth. Just as sure as your salvation is, so is your growth in Christ. And he says, take me up on it and you will grow. Father, thank you for this time that we've had this morning. And Father, I pray that... Um, I pray that when we look at every one of those virtues that Peter outlines there, that in fact we can say that something's happening in our lives, that we are growing, that because of the gospel and because of your spirit at work in our lives, that something is happening, that we are growing, that we are not going to stay the same. You, we weren't born again to stay the same way that we are. But we're becoming more, and we're changing because of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.